0: The Rowan Tree Collection Sense and Sensibility Chapter Seventeen Mrs. Dashwood was surprised only for a moment at seeing him, for his coming to Barton was, in her opinion, of all things the most natural. Her joy and expression of regard long outlived her wonder, He received the kindest welcome from her, and shyness, coldness, reserve could not stand against such a reception. They had begun to fail him before he entered the house, and they were quite overcome by the captivating manners of Mrs. Dashwood. Indeed, a man could not very well be in love with either of her daughters without extending the passion to her, and Eleanor had the satisfaction of seeing him soon become more like himself. His affection seemed to reanimate towards them all, and his interest in their welfare again became perceptible. He was not in spirits, however. He praised their house, admired its prospect, was attentive and kind, but still he was not in spirits. The whole family perceived it, and Mrs. Dashwood, attributing it to some want of liberality in his mother, sat down to table, indignant against all selfish parents. "'What are Mrs. Ferrer's views for you at present, Edward?' said she, when dinner was over and they had drawn round the fire. "'Are you still to be a great orator in spite of yourself?' No. I hope my mother is now convinced that I have no more talents than inclination for a public life. But how is your fame to be established? For famous you must be to satisfy all your family, and with no inclination for expense, no affection for strangers, no profession, and no assurance, you may find it a difficult matter. I shall not attempt it. I have no wish to be distinguished, and have every reason to hope I never shall. "'Thank heaven, I cannot be forced into genius and eloquence. "'You have no ambition, I well know. "'Your wishes are all moderate. "'As moderate as those of the rest of the world, I believe. "'I wish as well as everybody else to be perfectly happy, "'but like everybody else, it must be in my own way. "'Greatness will not make me so.' "'Strange that it would,' cried Marianne. "'What have wealth or grandeur to do with happiness?' "'Grandeur has but little,' said Eleanor, "'but wealth has much to do with it.' "'Eleanor, for shame,' said Marianne. "'Money can only give happiness "'where there is nothing else to give it. "'Beyond competence, it can afford no real satisfaction, "'as far as mere self is concerned.' "'Perhaps,' said Eleanor, smiling, "'we may come to the same point. "'Your competence and my wealth "'are very much alike, I dare say.' and without them, as the world goes now, we shall both agree that every kind of external comfort must be wanting. Your ideas are only more noble than mine. Come, what is your competence? About eighteen hundred or two thousand a year, not more than that. Eleanor laughed. Two thousand a year! One is my wealth! I guessed how it would end. And yet two thousand a year is a very moderate income, said Marianne. A family cannot well be maintained on a smaller. I am sure I am not extravagant in my demands. Proper establishment of servants, a carriage perhaps two, and hunters cannot be supported on less. Eleanor smiled again to hear her sister describing so accurately their future expenses at Combe Magna. Hunters, repeated Edward. But why must you have hunters? Everybody does not hunt. Marianne colored as she replied. But most people do. I wish, said Margaret, striking out a novel thought, that somebody would give us all a large fortune apiece. Oh, that they would, cried Marianne, her eyes sparkling with animation and her cheeks glowing with the delight of such imaginary happiness. We're all unanimous in that wish, I suppose, said Eleanor, in spite of the insufficiency of wealth. Oh, dear, cried Margaret, how happy I should be. I wonder what I should do with it. "'Marianne looked as if she had no doubt on that point. "'I should be puzzled to spend so large a fortune myself,' "'said Mrs. Dashwood, "'if my children were all to be rich my help. "'You must begin your improvements on this house,' "'observed Eleanor, "'and your difficulties will soon vanish. "'What magnificent orders would travel "'from this family to London,' said Edward, "'in such an event. "'What a happy day for booksellers, "'music sellers, and print shops!' "'You, Miss Dashwood, would give a general commission "'for every new print of merit to be sent to you. "'And as for Marianne, I know her greatness of soul "'there would not be music enough in London to content her. "'And books! "'Thompson, Cowper, Scott, she would buy them all over and over again. "'She would buy up every copy, I believe, "'to prevent them falling into unworthy hands, "'and she would have every book that tells her "'how to admire an old twisted tree. "'Should not you, Marianne?' Forgive me if I am very saucy, but I was willing to show you that I had not forgot our old disputes. I would love to be reminded of the past, Edward. Whether it be melancholy or gay, I love to recall it, and you will never offend me by talking of former times. You are very right in supposing how my money would be spent, some of it at least. My loose cash would but certainly be employed in improving my collection of music and books. And the bulk of your fortune would be laid out in annuities on the author's or the heirs. "'No, Edward, I should have something else to do with it.' "'Perhaps, then, you would bestow it as a reward on that person who wrote the ablest defense of your favorite maxim, that no one can ever be in love more than once in their life. Your opinion on that point is unchanged, I presume?' "'Undoubtedly. At my time of life, opinions are tolerably fixed. It is not likely that I should now see or hear anything to change them.' "'Marianne is as steadfast as ever, you see.' "'said Eleanor, "'She is not at all altered. "'She's only grown a little more grave than she was. "'Nay, Edward,' said Marianne, "'you need not reproach me. "'You are not very gay yourself.' "'Why should you think so?' replied he with a sigh. "'But gaiety never was a part of my character.' "'Nor do I think it a part of Marianne's,' said Eleanor. I should hardly call her a lively girl. She is very earnest, very eager in all she does, sometimes talks a great deal and always with animation, but she is not often really merry. I believe you are right, he replied, and yet I have always set her down as a lively girl. I have frequently detected myself in such kind of mistakes, said Eleanor and a total misapprehension of character in some point or other, fancying people so much more gay or grave or ingenious or stupid than they really are, and I can hardly tell why or in what the deception originated. Sometimes one is guided by what they say of themselves and very frequently by what other people say of them, without giving oneself time to deliberate and judge. "'But I thought it was right, Eleanor,' said Marianne, "'to be guided wholly by the opinion of other people.' I thought our judgments were given us merely to be subservient to those of neighbors. This has always been your doctrine, I am sure. No, Marianne, never. My doctrine has never aimed at the subjection of the understanding. All I have ever attempted to influence has been the behavior. You must not confound my meeting. I am guilty, I confess, of having often wished you to treat our acquaintance in general with greater attention but when have I advised you to adopt their sentiments or to conform to their judgment in serious matters? You have not been able to bring your sister over to your plan of general civility, said Edward to Eleanor. Do you gain no ground? Quite the contrary, replied Eleanor, looking expressively at Marianne. My judgment, he returned, is all on your side of the question, but I am afraid my practice is much more on your sister's. "'I never wish to offend, but I am so foolishly shy that I often seem negligent "'when I am only kept back by my natural awkwardness. "'I have frequently thought that I must have been intended by nature to be fond of low company. "'I am so little at my ease among strangers of gentility.' <laughs> Marianne has not shyness to excuse any inattention of hers. "'She knows her own worth too well for false shame,' replied Edward. Shyness is only the effect of a sense of inferiority in some way or other. If I could persuade myself that my manners were perfectly easy and graceful, I should not be shy. But you would still be reserved, said Marianne, and that is worse. Edward started, reserved? Am I reserved, Marianne? Yes, very. I do not understand you, replied he, coloring "'Reserved? How? In what manner? What am I to tell you? What can you suppose?' "'Eleanor looked surprised at his emotion, but trying to laugh off the subject, she said to him, "'Do not you know my sister well enough to understand what she means? Do you not know she calls everyone reserved who does not talk as fast and admire what she admires as rapturously as herself?' Edward made no answer. His gravity and thoughtfulness returned on him in their fullest extent, and he sat for some time, silent and dull. CHAPTER Eighteen. Eleanor saw, with great uneasiness, the low spirits of her friend. His visit afforded her but a very partial satisfaction, while his own enjoyment in it appeared so imperfect. It was evident that he was unhappy. She wished it were equally evident that he still distinguished her by the same affection which once she had felt no doubt of inspiring, but hitherto the continuance of his preference seemed very uncertain, and the reservedness of his manner towards her contradicted one moment what a more animated look had intimated the preceding one. He joined her and Marianne in the breakfast room the next morning before the others were down, and Marianne, who was always eager to promote their happiness as far as she could, soon left them to themselves. But before she was halfway upstairs she heard the parlor door open, and turning round was astonished to see Edward himself come out. I'm going into the village to see my horses, said he, as you are not yet ready for breakfast. I shall be back again presently. Edward returned to them with a fresh admiration. Edward returned to them with fresh admiration of the surrounding country, and his walk to the village he had seen many parts of the valley to advantage and the village itself, in a much higher situation than the cottage, afforded a general view of the whole, which had exceedingly pleased him. This was a subject which ensured Marianne's attention, and she was beginning to describe her own admiration of these scenes and to question him more minutely on the objects that had particularly struck him. When Edward interrupted her by saying, "'You must not inquire too far, Marianne. Remember, I have no knowledge in the picturesque, and I shall offend you by my ignorance and want of taste, if we come to particulars.' I shall call hills steep, which ought to be bold, surfaces strange and uncouth, which ought to be irregular and rugged, and distant objects out of sight, which ought only to be indistinct through the soft medium of a hazy atmosphere. You must be satisfied with such admiration as I can honestly give. I call it a very fine country: the hills are steep, the woods seem full of fine timber, and the valley looks comfortable and snug, with rich meadows and several neat farmhouses scattered here and there. It exactly answers my idea of a fine country, because it unites beauty with utility, and I dare say it is a picturesque one, too, because you admire it. I can easily believe it to be full of rocks and promontories, grey moss and brushwood, but these are all lost on me. I know nothing of the picturesque. I am afraid it is but too true, said Marianne, but why should you boast of it? I suspect, said Eleanor. That to avoid one kind of affectation, Edward here falls into another, because he believes many people pretend to more admiration of the beauties of nature than they really feel, and is disgusted with such pretensions. He affects greater indifference and less discrimination in viewing them himself than he possesses. He is fastidious and will have an affectation of his own. It is very true, said Marianne, that admiration of the landscape scenery has become a mere jargon. Everybody pretends to feel and tries to describe with the taste and elegance of him who first defined what picturesque beauty was. I detest jargon of every kind, and sometimes I have kept my feelings to myself, because I could find no language to describe them in but what was worn and hackneyed out of all sense and meaning. I'm convinced, said Edward that you really feel all the delight in a fine prospect which you profess to feel. But in return your sister must allow me to feel no more than I profess. I like a fine prospect, but not on picturesque principles. I do not like crooked, twisted, blasted trees. I admire them much more if they are tall, straight, and flourishing. I do not like ruined, tattered cottages. I am not fond of nettles or thistles or heath blossoms. I have more pleasure in a snug farmhouse than a watchtower, and a troop of tidy, happy villages please me better than the finest banditti in the world." Marianne looked with amazement at Edward, with compassion at her sister. Eleanor only laughed. The subject was continued no farther, and Marianne remained thoughtfully silent till a new object suddenly engaged her attention. She was sitting by Edward, and in taking his tea from Mrs. Dashwood, his hand passed so directly before her as to make a ring with a plait of hair in the center, very conspicuous on one of his fingers. "'I never saw you wear a ring before, Edward,' she cried. "'Is that Fanny's hair? I remember her promising to give you some, but I should have thought her hair had been darker.' Marianne spoke inconsiderately what she really felt but when she saw how much she had pained Edward, her own vexation at her want of thought could not be surpassed by his. He colored very deeply, and giving a momentary glance at Eleanor, replied, Yes, it is my sister's hair. The setting always casts a different shade on it, you know. Eleanor had met his eye and looked conscious likewise. That the hair was her own, she instantly felt as well satisfied as Marianne. The only difference in their conclusions was that what Marianne considered as a free gift from her sister, Eleanor was conscious must have been procured by some theft or contrivance unknown to herself. She was not in a humor, however, to regard it as an affront, and affecting to take no notice of what passed by instantly talking of something else. She internally resolved henceforward to catch every opportunity of eyeing the hair and of satisfying herself beyond all doubt that it was exactly the shade of her own. Edward's embarrassment lasted some time, and it ended in an absence of mind still more settled. He was particularly grave the whole morning. Marianne severely censured herself for what she had said, but her own forgiveness might have been more speedy, had she known how little offense it had given her sister. Before the middle of the day they were visited by Sir John and Mrs. Jennings, who, having heard of the arrival of a gentleman at the cottage, came to take a survey of the guest. With the assistance of his mother-in-law, Sir John, was not long in discovering that the name of Fairs began with an F, and this prepared a future mine of raillery against the devoted Eleanor, which nothing but the newness of their acquaintance with Edward could have prevented from being immediately sprung. But as it was, she only learned from some very significant looks, how far their penetration, founded on Margaret's instructions, extended." "'Sir John never came to the Dashwoods "'without either inviting them to dine at the park the next day "'or to drink tea with them that evening. "'On the present occasion, "'for the better entertainment of their visitor, "'towards whose amusement he felt himself bound to contribute, "'he wished to engage them for both. "'You must drink tea with us tonight,' said he, "'for we shall be quite alone, "'and to-morrow you must absolutely dine with us, "'for we shall be a large party.' "'Mrs. Jennings enforced the necessity.' "'and who knows but you may raise a dance,' said she, "'and that will tempt you, Miss Marianne.' "'A dance!' cried Marianne. "'Impossible! Who is to dance?' "'Who? Why, yourselves, and the Carey's and the Whitaker's, to be sure. "'What, you thought nobody could dance because a certain person that shall be nameless is gone?' "'I wish with all my soul,' cried Sir John, "'that Willoughby were among us again.' This, and Marianne's blushing, gave new suspicions to Edward. "'And who is Willoughby?' said he in a low voice to Miss Dashwood, by whom he was sitting. She gave him a brief reply. Marianne's countenance was more communicative. Edward saw enough to comprehend not only the meaning of others, but such of Marianne's expressions as had puzzled him before. And when their visitors left them, he went immediately around her and said in a whisper, "'I have been guessing. Shall I tell you my guess?' What do you mean? Shall I tell you? Certainly. Well, then, I guess that Mr. Willoughby hunts. Marion was surprised and confused, yet she could not help smiling at the quiet archness of his manner, and after a moment's silence said, Oh, Edward, how can you? But the time will come, I hope. I am sure you will like him. I do not doubt it. Replied he, rather astonished at her earnestness and warmth, for had he not imagined it to be a joke, for the good of her acquaintance in general, founded only on a something or a nothing between Mr. Willoughby and herself, he would not have ventured to mention it. Chapter nineteen. Edward remained a week at the cottage. He was earnestly pressed by Mrs. Dashwood to stay longer, but, as if he were bent only on self-mortification, he seemed resolved to be gone when his enjoyment among his friends was at the height. His spirits, during the last two or three days, though still very unequal, were greatly improved. He grew more and more partial to the house and environs, never spoke of going away without a sigh, declared his time to be wholly disengaged, even doubted to what place he should go when he left them. But still, go he must. Never had any week passed so quickly. He could hardly believe it to be gone. He said so repeatedly, other things he said, too, which marked the turn of his feelings and gave the lie to his actions. He had no pleasure at Norland, he detested being in town, but either to Norland or London he must go. He valued their kindness beyond anything, and his greatest happiness was in being with them, yet he must leave them at the end of a week, in spite of their wishes and his own, and without any restraint on his time. Eleanor placed all that was astonishing in this way of acting to his mother's account, and it was happy for her that he had a mother, whose character was so imperfectly known to her as to be the general excuse for everything strange on the part of her son. Disappointed, however, and vexed as she was, and sometimes displeased with his uncertain behavior to herself, she was very well disposed, on the whole, to regard his actions with all the candid allowances and generous qualifications which had been rather more painfully exhorted from her, for willoughby's service by her mother his want of spirits of openness and of consistency were most usually attributed to his want of independence and his better knowledge of the mrs ferrers disposition and designs the shortness of his visit the steadiness of his purpose in leaving them originated in the same fettered inclination same inevitable necessity of temporizing with his mother the old well-established grievance of duty against will parent against child was the cause of all She would have been glad to know when these difficulties were to cease, this opposition was to yield, when Mrs. Fares would be reformed, and her son be at liberty to be happy. But from such vain wishes she was forced to turn for comfort to the renewal of her confidence in Edward's affection, to the remembrance of every mark of regard in look or word which fell from him while at Barton, and above all to that flattering proof of it which he constantly wore round his finger. "'I think, Edward.' said mrs dashwood as they were at breakfast the last morning you would be a happier man if you had any profession to engage your time and give an interest to your plans and actions some inconvenience to your friends indeed might result from it you would not be able to give them so much of your time but with a smile you would be materially benefited in one particular at least you would know where to go when you left them "'I do assure you,' he replied, "'that I have long thought on this point, as you think now. It has been, and is, and probably will always be a heavy misfortune to me that I have had no necessary business to engage me, no profession to give me employment or afford me anything like independence. But, unfortunately, my own nicety and the nicety of my friends have made me what I am—an idle, helpless being. We never could agree in our choice of a profession.' I always preferred the church, as I still do, but that was not smart enough for my family. They recommended the army. That was a great deal too smart for me. The law was allowed to be genteel enough. Many young men, who had chambers in the temple, made a very good appearance in the first circles and drove about town in very knowing gigs. But I had no inclination for the law, even in this less obtruse study of it, which my family approved. As for the navy, it had fashion on its side, but I was too old when the subject was first started to enter it, and at length, as there was no necessity for my having any profession at all, as I might be as dashing and expensive without a red coat on my back as with one, idleness was pronounced on the whole to be most advantageous and honourable, and a young man of eighteen is not in general so earnestly bent on being busy as to resist the solicitations of his friends to do nothing.' was therefore entered at Oxford and have been properly idle ever since. "'The consequence of which, I suppose, will be,' said Mrs. Dashwood, "'since leisure has not promoted your own happiness, "'that your sons will be brought up to as many pursuits, "'employments, professions, and trades as Columella's.' "'They will be brought up,' said he, in a serious accent, "'to be as unlike myself as possible.' In feeling, in action, in condition, in everything. Come, come, this is all an effusion of immediate want of spirits, Edward. You are in a melancholy humour, and fancy that any one unlike yourself must be happy. But remember that the pain of parting from friends will be felt by everybody at times, whatever their education or state. Know your own happiness. You want nothing but patience, or give it a more fascinating name, call it hope your mother will secure it to you in time that independence you are so anxious for it is her duty and it will it must ere long become her happiness to prevent your whole youth from being wasted in discontent how much may not a few months do i think replied edward that i may defy many months to produce any good to me this desponding turn of mind, though it could not be communicated to Mrs. Dashwood, gave additional pain to them all in the parting, which shortly took place and left an uncomfortable oppression on Eleanor's feelings especially, which required some trouble and time to subdue. But as it was her determination to subdue it, and to prevent herself from appearing to suffer more than what all her family suffered on his going away, she did not adopt the method so judiciously applied by Marianne on a similar occasion to augment and fix her sorrow by seeking silence, solitude, and idleness. Their means were as different as their objects, and equally suited to the advancement of each. Eleanor sat to her drawing-table as soon as he was out of the house, busily employed herself the whole day, neither sought nor avoided the mention of his name, appeared to interest herself almost as much as ever in the general concerns of the family, and if by this conduct she did not lessen her own grief, it was at least prevented from unnecessary increase, and her mother and sisters were spared much solicitude on her account. Such behavior as this, so exactly the reverse of her own, appeared no more meritorious to Marianne than her own had seemed faulty to her. The business of self-command she settled very easily. With strong affections it was impossible, with calm ones it could have no merit. That her sister's affections were calm she dared not deny, though she blushed to acknowledge it and of the strength of her own she gave a very striking proof by still loving and respecting that sister in spite of this mortifying conviction. Without shutting herself up from her family, or leaving the house in determined solitude to avoid them, or lying awake the whole night to indulge meditation, Eleanor found every day afforded her leisure enough to think of Edward, and of Edward's behavior, in every possible variety which the different state of her spirits at different times could produce with tenderness, pity, approbation, censure, and doubt. There were moments in abundance when, if not by the absence of her mother and sisters, at least by the nature of their employments, conversation was forbidden among them, and every effect of solitude was produced. Her mind was inevitably at liberty. Her thoughts could not be chained elsewhere. The past and the future, on a subject so interesting, must be before her, must force her attention and engross her memory, her reflection, and her fancy." From a reverie of this kind, as she sat at her drawing-table, she was roused one morning, soon after Edward's leaving them, by the arrival of company. She happened to be quite alone. The closing of the little gate at the entrance to the green court in front of the house drew her eyes to the window, and she saw a large party walking up to the door. Amongst them were Sir John and Lady Middleton and Mrs. Jennings, but there were two others, a gentleman and a lady, who were quite unknown to her. She was sitting near the window, and as soon as Sir John perceived her, he left the rest of the party to the ceremony of knocking at the door, and stepping across the turf, obliged her to open the casement to speak to him, though the space was so short between the door and the window as to make it hardly possible to speak at one without being heard at the other. "'Well,' said he, "'we have brought you some strangers. How do you like them?' "'Hush, they will hear you. Never mind if they do, it is only the Palmers.' "'Charlotte is very pretty, I can tell you. "'You may see her if you look this way.' "'As Eleanor was certain of seeing her in a couple of minutes, "'without taking that liberty, she begged to be excused. "'Where is Marianne? "'Has she run away because we are come? "'I see her instrument is open.' "'She is walking, I believe.' "'They were now joined by Mrs. Jennings, "'who had not patience enough to wait till the door was opened "'before she told her story. "'She came hallooing to the window.' How do you do, my dear? How does Mrs. Dashwood do? And where are your sisters? What, all alone? You will be glad of a little company to sit with you. I have brought my other son and daughter to see you. Only think of their coming so suddenly. I thought I heard a carriage last night while we were drinking our tea, but it never entered my head that it could be them. I thought of nothing, whether "'It might not be Colonel Brandon come back again, "'so I said to Sir John, "'I do think I hear a carriage. "'Perhaps it is Colonel Brandon come back again.' "'Eleanor was obliged to turn from her "'in the middle of her story "'to receive the rest of the party. "'Lady Middleton introduced the two strangers. "'Mrs. Dashwood and Margaret came downstairs "'at the same time, "'and they all sat down to look at one another, "'while Mrs. Jennings continued her story "'as she walked through the passage "'into the parlor attended by Sir John.' Mrs. Palmer was several years younger than Lady Middleton, and totally unlike her in every respect. She was short and plump, had a very pretty face, and the finest expression of good humour in it that could possibly be. Her manners were by no means so elegant as her sister's, but they were much more prepossessing. She came in with a smile, smiled all the time of her visit, except when she laughed, and smiled when she went away. Her husband was a grave-looking young man of five or six and twenty, with an air of more fashion and sense than his wife, but of less willingness to please or be pleased. He entered the room with a look of self-consequence, slightly bowed to the ladies without speaking a word, and, after briefly surveying them in their apartments, took up a newspaper from the table and continued to read it as long as he stayed. Mrs. Palmer, on the contrary, who was strongly endowed by nature with a turn for being uniformly civil and happy, was hardly seated before her admiration of the parlor and everything in it burst forth. Oh well, what a delightful room this is! I never saw anything so charming. Only think, mamma, how it has improved since I was here last. I always thought it such a sweet place, ma'am. Turning to Mrs. Dashwood. "'But you have made it so charming. "'Only look, sister, how delightful everything is. "'How I should not like such a house for myself. "'Should not you, Mr. Palmer?' "'Mr. Palmer made her no answer "'and did not even raise his eyes from the newspaper. "'Mr. Palmer does not hear me,' said she, laughing. "'He never does sometimes. "'It's so ridiculous.' "'This was quite a new idea to Mrs. Dashwood.' She had never been used to find wit in the inattention of anyone, and could not help looking with surprise at them both. Mrs. Jennings, in the meantime, talked on as loud as she could, and continued in her account of their surprise the evening before on seeing their friends, without ceasing till everything was told. Mrs. Palmer laughed heartily at the recollection of their astonishment, and everybody agreed, two or three times over, that it had been been quite an agreeable surprise. "'You may believe how glad we all were to see them,' added Mrs. Jennings, leaning forward towards Eleanor and speaking in a low voice, as if she meant to be heard by no one else, though they were seated on different sides of the room. "'But, however, I can't help wishing they had not travelled quite so fast, nor made such a long journey of it, for they came all round by London on account of some business.' "'For, you know,' nodding significantly and pointing to her daughter,' It was wrong in her situation. I wanted her to stay at home and rest this morning, but she would come with us. She longed so much to see you all. Mrs. Palmer laughed and said it would not do her any harm. She expects to be confined in February, continued Mrs. Jennings. Lady Middleton could no longer endure such a conversation, and therefore exerted herself to ask Mr. Palmer if there was any news in the paper. No, none at all, he replied, and read on. Here comes Marianne, cried Sir John. Now, Palmer, you shall see a monstrous pretty girl. He immediately went into the passage, opened the front door, and ushered her in himself. Mrs. Jennings asked her as soon as she appeared if she had not been to Allenham, and Mrs. Palmer laughed so heartily at the question as to show she understood it. Mr Palmer looked up upon her entering the room stared at her some minutes and then returned to his newspaper Mrs Palmer's eye was now caught by the drawings which hung round the room she got up to examine them oh dear how beautiful these are well how delightful do but look mamma how sweet i declare they are quite charming i could look at them ever and then, sitting down again, she very soon forgot that there were any such things in the room. When Lady Middleton rose to go away, Mr. Palmer rose also, laid down the newspaper, stretched himself, and looked at them all around. "'My love, have you been asleep?' said his wife, laughing. He made her no answer, only observed, after again examining the room, that it was very low-pitched, and that the ceiling was crooked. "'He then made his bow and departed with the rest. "'Sir John had been very urgent with them all "'to spend the next day at the park. "'Mrs. Dashwood, who did not choose to dine with them "'oftener than they dined at the cottage, "'absolutely refused on her own account. "'Her daughters might do as they pleased. "'But they had no curiosity to see "'how Mr. and Mrs. Palmer ate their dinner, "'and no expectation of pleasure from them in any other way. "'They attempted, therefore, likewise to excuse themselves.' The weather was uncertain and not likely to be good, but Sir John would not be satisfied. The carriage should be sent for them, and they must come. Lady Middleton, too, though she did not press their mother, pressed them. Mrs. Jennings and Mrs. Palmer joined their entreaties, all seemed equally anxious to avoid a family party, and the young ladies were obliged to yield. "'Why should they ask us?' said Marianne as soon as they were gone. The rent of this cottage is said to be very low, but we have it on very hard terms if we are to dine at the park whenever anyone is staying either with them or with us. They mean no less to be civil and kind to us now, said Eleanor, by these frequent invitations than by those we received from them a few weeks ago. The alteration is not in them if their parties are grown tedious and dull. We must look for the change elsewhere. CHAPTER Twenty. As the Miss Dashwoods entered the drawing-room of the park the next day, at one door, Mrs. Palmer came running in at the other, looking as good-humoured and merry as before. She took them all most affectionately by the hand and expressed great delight in seeing them again. "'I am so glad to see you,' said she, seating herself between Eleanor and Marianne. "'For it is so bad a day, I was afraid you might not come, "'which would be a shocking thing as we go away again tomorrow.' We must go, for the Weston's come to us next week, you know. It was quite a sudden thing, our coming at all, and I knew nothing of it till the carriage was coming to the door. And then Mr. Palmer asked me if I would go with him to Barton. is so droll. He never tells me anything. I'm so sorry we cannot stay longer. However, we shall meet again in town very soon, I hope." They were obliged to put an end to such an expectation. "'Not go to town!' cried Mrs. Palmer with a laugh. I shall be quite disappointed if you do not. I could get the nicest house in the world for you, next door to ours, in Hanover Square. You must come, indeed. I am sure I shall be very happy to chaperone you at any time till I am confined, if Mrs. Dashwood should not like to go into public. They thanked her, but were obliged to resist all her entreaties. Oh, my love, cried Mrs. Palmer to her husband, who just then entered the room. "'You must help me to persuade the Miss Dashwoods to go to town this winter.' Her love made no answer, and after slightly bowing to the ladies, began complaining of the weather. "'How horrid all this is,' said he. "'Such weather makes everything and everybody disgusting. Dullness is as much produced within doors as without by rain. "'It makes one detest all one's acquaintance. "'What the devil does Sir John mean by not having a billiard-room in his house?' "'How few people know what comfort is, "'Sir John is as stupid as the weather.' "'The rest of the company soon dropped in. "'I am afraid, Miss Marianne,' said Sir John. "'You have not been able to take your usual walk to Allenham today.' "'Marianne looked very grave and said nothing. "'Oh, don't be so sly before us,' said Mrs. Palmer, "'for we know all about it, I assure you, "'and I admire your taste very much, "'for I think he's extremely handsome.' "'We do not live a great way from him in the country, you know. "'Not above ten miles, I dare say.' "'Much nearer thirty,' said her husband. "'Oh, well, there is not much difference. "'I never was at his house, but they say it is a sweet, pretty place.' "'As vile a spot as I ever saw in my life,' said Mr. Palmer. "'Mary remained perfectly silent, "'though her countenance betrayed her interest in what was said. "'Is it very ugly?' continued Mrs. Palmer.' "'Then it must be some other place that is so pretty, I suppose.' "'When they were seated in the dining-room, "'Sir John observed with regret that they were only eight altogether. "'My dear,' said he to his lady, "'it is very provoking that we should be so few. "'Why did you not ask the Gilberts to come to us today?' "'Did I not tell you, Sir John, when you spoke to me about it before, "'that it could not be done? They dined with us last.' "'You and I, Sir John,' said Mrs. Jennings, "'should not stand upon such ceremony.' "'Then you would be very ill-bred,' cried Mr. Palmer. "'My love, you contradict everybody,' said his wife, with her usual laugh. "'Do you know that you are quite rude?' "'I did not know I contradicted anybody in calling your mother ill-bred.' Ah, you may abuse me as you please,' said the good-natured old lady.' "'You have taken Charlotte off my hands and cannot give her back again, "'so there I have the whip-hand of you.' "'Charlotte laughed heartily to think that her husband could not get rid of her, "'and exultingly said she did not care how cross he was to her, "'as they must live together. "'It was impossible for anyone to be more thoroughly good-natured "'or more determined to be happy than Mrs. Palmer. "'The studied indifference, insolence, and discontent of her husband "'gave her no pain, and when he scolded or abused her, "'she was highly diverted.' mr palmer is so droll mr palmer is so droll said she in a whisper to eleanor he is always out of humour eleanor was not inclined after a little observation to give him credit for being so genuinely and unaffectedly ill-natured or ill-bred as he wished to appear his temper might perhaps be a little soured by finding like many others of his sex that through some unaccountable bias in favour of beauty he was the husband of a very silly woman But she knew that this kind of blunder was too common for any sensible man to be lastingly hurt by it. It was rather a wish of distinction, she believed, which produced his contemptuous treatment of everybody and his general abuse of everything before him. It was the desire of appearing superior to other people. The motive was too common to be wondered at, but the means, however they might succeed by establishing his superiority in ill-breeding, were not likely to attach anyone to him except his wife. "'Oh, my dear Miss Dashwood,' said Mrs. Palmer soon afterwards, "'I've got such a favour to ask of you and your sister. "'Will you come and spend some time at Cleveland this Christmas? "'Now pray do, and come while the Westons are with us. "'You cannot think how happy I shall be. "'It will be quite delightful. "'My love,' applying to her husband, "'don't you long to have the Miss Dashwoods come to Cleveland?' "'Certainly,' he replied with a sneer. "'I came into Devonshire with no other view.' "'There, now,' said his lady. "'You see, Mr. Palmer expects you, so you cannot refuse to come.' "'They both eagerly and resolutely declined her invitation. "'But indeed you must and shall come.' I'm sure you will like it, of all things. The Westons will be with us, and it will be quite delightful. You cannot think what a sweet place Cleveland is, and we are so gay now, for Mr. Palmer is always going about the country canvassing against the election, and so many people came to dine with us that I never saw before. It is quite charming. But poor fellow, it is very fatiguing to him, for he is forced to make everybody like him. Eleanor could hardly keep her countenance as she assented to the hardship of such an obligation. How charming it will be, said Charlotte, when he is in Parliament, won't it? How I shall laugh. It will be so ridiculous to see all his letters directed to him with an MP. But do you know, he says he will never frank for me. He declares he won't, don't you, Mr. Palmer? Mr. Palmer took no notice of her. He cannot bear writing, you know, she continued. He says it is quite shocking. No, said he. I never said anything so irrational. Don't palm all your abuses of languages upon me. There, now you see how droll he is. This is always the way with him. Sometimes he won't speak to me for half a day together, and then he comes out with something so droll all about anything in the world. She surprised Eleanor very much as they returned into the drawing room by asking her whether she did not like Mr. Palmer excessively. Certainly, said Eleanor. "'He seems very agreeable.' "'Well, I am so glad you do. I thought you would. He is so pleasant. "'And Mr. Palmer is excessively pleased with you and your sisters, I can tell you. "'And you can't think how disappointed he will be if you don't come to Cleveland. "'I can't imagine why you should object to it.' "'Eleanor was again obliged to decline her invitation, "'and by changing the subject, put a stop to her entreaties.' "'She thought it probable that as they lived in the same county, "'Mrs. Palmer might be able to give some more particular account "'of Willoughby's general character, than could be gathered from the Middletons' partial acquaintance with him, "'and she was eager to gain from any one such a confirmation of his merits "'as might remove the possibility of fear from Marianne. "'She began by inquiring if they saw much of Mr. Willoughby at Cleveland, "'and whether they were intimately acquainted with him. "'Oh, dear, yes, I know him extremely well,' replied Mrs. Palmer." Not that I ever spoke to him, indeed, but I have seen him forever in town. Somehow or other, I never happened to be staying at Barton while he was at Allenham. Mama saw him here once before, but I was with my uncle at Weymouth. However, I dare say we should have seen a great deal of him in Somersetshire if it had not happened very unluckily that we should never have been in the country together. He is very little at Coombe, I believe, but if he were ever so much there, I do not think Mr. Palmer would visit him. "'For he is in the opposition, you know, and besides, it is such a way off. "'I know why you inquire about him very well. "'Your sister is to marry him. "'I am monstrous glad of it, for then I shall have her for a neighbor, you know.' "'Upon my word,' replied Eleanor, "'you know much more of the matter than I do, "'if you have any reason to expect such a match. "'Don't pretend to deny it, because you know it is what everybody talks of.' I assure you I heard of it in my way through town. My dear Mrs. Palmer, upon my honor I did. I met Colonel Brandon Monday morning in Bond Street just before we left town, and he told me of it directly. You surprise me very much. Colonel Brandon tell you of it. Surely you must be mistaken. To give such intelligence to a person who could not be interested in it, even if it were true, is not what I should expect Colonel Brandon to do. But I do assure you it was so for all that, and I will tell you how it happened. When we met him, he turned back and walked with us, and so we began talking of my brother and sister, and one thing and another, and I said to him, "'So, Colonel, there is a new family come to Barton Cottage, I hear, and Mamma sends me word they are very pretty, and that one of them is going to be married to Mr. Willoughby of Cob Magna. Is it true, pray? For of course you must know, as you have been in Devonshire so lately.' And what did the colonel say? Oh, he did not say much, but he looked as if he knew it to be true, so from that moment I set it down as certain. It will be quite delightful, I declare. When is it to take place? Mr. Brandon was very well, I hope. Oh, yes, quite well, and so full of your praises. He did nothing but say fine things of you. I am flattered by his commendation. He seems an excellent man, and I think him uncommonly pleasing. so do I. He is such a charming man that it is quite a pity he should be so grave and so dull. Mamma says he was in love with your sister too. I assure you, it was a great compliment if he was for he hardly ever falls in love with anybody. Is Mr. Willoughby much known in your part of Somersetshire? said Eleanor. Oh, yes, extremely well. That is, I do not believe many people are acquainted with him, because Magna is so far off, but they all think him extremely agreeable, I assure you. Nobody is more liked than Mr. Willoughby wherever he goes, and so you may tell your sister. She is a monstrous lucky girl to get him, upon my honour. Not but that he is much more lucky in getting her, because she is so very handsome and agreeable that nothing can be good enough for her. However, I don't think her hardly at all handsomer than you, I assure you, for I think you both excessively pretty, and so does Mr. Palmer, too, I am sure, though we could not get him to own it last night. Mrs. Palmer's information respecting Willoughby was not very material, but any testimony in his favor, however small, was pleasing to her. I am so glad we are got acquainted at last, continued Charlotte. And now I hope we shall always be great friends. You can't think how much I longed to see you. It is so delightful that you should live at the cottage. Nothing can be like it, to be sure. And I am so glad your sister is going to be well married. I hope you'll be a great deal at Combe Magna. It is a sweet place by all accounts. You have been long acquainted with Colonel Brandon, have not you? "'Yes, a great while, ever since my sister married. "'He was a particular friend of Sir John's, I believe,' she added in a low voice. "'He would have been very glad to have had me if he could. "'Sir John and Lady Middleton wished it very much, "'but Mamma did not think the match good enough for me. "'Otherwise Sir John would have mentioned it to the Colonel, "'and we should have been married immediately.' "'Did not Colonel Brandon know of Sir John's proposal to your mother before it was made?' Had he never owned his affection to yourself? Oh, no, but if Mama had not objected to it, I dare say he would have liked it, of all things. He had not seen me then above twice, for it was before I left school. However, I am much happier as I am. Mr. Palmer is the kind of man I like. The Rowan Tree Collection is created and produced by Rhea Tice. If you enjoyed this episode... Please leave a rating or review. For more information, you can visit us on Twitter at Rowan Podcast. Check out our Facebook page, The Rowan Tree Collection. Visit us on Instagram at The Rowan Tree Collection. Or, if you want to support our show, follow us on Patreon at The Rowan Tree Collection. For links to all of those and more, visit our website, shows.acast.com the-rowan-tree-collection. Or you can send an email to the Rowan Tree Collection at sheathedistance.com. Thanks for listening.